Hi, this is Joel Knox from the Vineyard Church of Brenham. I want to thank you for dropping by and listening to our podcast. You know, it's a free podcast, and it always will be. But if you'd like to help us out, you can go to our website, vineyardbrenham.org, and click on our donations page. We'd appreciate it very much. So thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Villard. And uh, I think um, I want to echo um, the thanks that he gave both to um, Joel and Danelle and also to my wife. I'm, much, I'm a much nicer person when she is with me on my travels. <laughs> and, uh, but thank you guys for... Uh, making this possible for all the hard work. And thank you to, the, to Villard and Diane and to the whole leadership team here for m- uh, making this possible. Um, you have given so that this becomes possible. And uh, um, it, it's something that uh, we don't take for granted. We don't, don't take lightly. Um, we value... As Villard said, the relationships that undergird um, significant ministry, you know, uh, ministry in the absence of relationship is just work or it's just performance. Um, But we have felt from the first time, and uh, as he said with our connection through Dennis, we have felt a part of you. We have felt like connected and when we met you it was one of those love at first sight things um, I don't know if that's about Texans or what it is but uh, <laughs> but um, we, we really cherish this and so thank you for making it possible to all of you I don't know why we lost it but it came back I think we're there so you can click on there there we go thank you Uh oh. It's doing that again. Let's see if we do it from here. Slideshow from current slide. There we go. There we go. This is a uh, <coughs> a poster that was up in our in our well it's my own rendition of a poster that was up in our children's room bedroom when they were little. What color is that guy's skin? Is that skin color? It is green? Cream. Cream. Oh, good. Okay. That, that's close enough. But uh, what I loved was the, the slogan that he had on his shirt that said, I know I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. And um, it's, uh, it's an important thing for children and adults to hear often about themselves. So if you weren't with us last night, this is where we kind of ended up um, on the point of um, loving who we are because of, the, of the, in, the, uh, the intimate, loving, 
workmanship of God in the creation of us from the, from the beginning. And not only did he create us as a, as a being, as a, as, a, as a body, but he, cre- he created our story. He wrote our story into the very DNA with which we were born. And salvation is God eventually when we've been on the run, when we've been going off on our own mission in all kinds of directions, God hooking us by the collar and saying, no, this is the story I wrote for you. Uh, The frustrations of our lives happen when we try to live our own story. I love that song. Let your will in me be the only thing I seek, the only will I seek. Uh, Let it be yours. Let it be your will. So um, just uh, uh, we're needing to kind of fast forward. As I I confessed my sins last night, I, I never make it through the notes. Um, so the notes on the second page, which are two diagrams, we're going to skip for the moment and move on to the second section, which is session two, hanging and working together. So very briefly, I want to recap the essential thing that we said last night, which is that the, uh, the purpose of God with me is to integrate my life, my character around the Lordship of Christ is to take Jesus in his power and his life and, um, and to implant it, to, uh, to make it a seed, uh, an explosion of life that ha- occurs deep at the deepest level and then makes its way outward so that what, are, what is seen on the outside is a reflection of what is on the inside. That, that, that you're not a Christmas tree, you're a fruit tree. You know, a Christmas tree is what you... It's just an ordinary tree that you hang decorations on it and you make it look fantastic. But that's not the tree, that's the decorations. And so much of religion, so much of Christianity amounts to, you know, this church has got these decorations. This church has got those decorations. This kind of Christian, um, for for them, these kind of lights are important. And for this kind, uh, you know, the, the lights are not as important as the gold dangly things that have got to be hanging on there. And, and so uh, we, we, we kind of compete with who's got the nicest looking tree. Jesus is not interested in Christmas trees. What he said is, I have made you a fruit tree. And so when you read in Galatians 5 verse uh, 22 and 23, uh, when you read there about the contrast between the works of the flesh, that is anything that you can accomplish it by your own strength, and most of that is not good, and the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is something that is produced from the inside of the tree outward. It grows and it becomes nourishing and, and, and sweeten, it sweetens our lives. And you can sum all of those up, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you can sum them up by what Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 20. And this has become a theme text of much of my life and ministry. Um, and is, it, it is the verse where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And I, I quote it from, that's the King James translation, the New King James trans, translation of the phrase, because you can translate the, the, um, the uh, subjunct, subjunctive 
uh, you can translate it either as faith in or faith, the faith of. I prefer the latter. I prefer to, to say it like this. Jesus in me has the faith. That's the reason why I do. See, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by a, a power and a life that is not my own. I remember a time when I was saying to the Lord, there was a particular challenge going on in my life. Uh, uh, um, and, and I was going, Lord, I can't love. And he said, don't worry, I've got enough for both of us. Let me love them through you. So as I described last night, the, the change that happened to me when I came to faith in Christ, that is supposed to be the ongoing dynamic of living this life. It was never supposed to be a matter of you, you sign up, you salute the flag, you, you agree to the rules, and then you try to live by them. That's religion. That's religion. And Jesus came to deliver us from religion. He came to say to us, I've seen what you can do, and really, you know what? It doesn't really impress me that much. So I'll tell you what, let me, let's do this thing a different way. I will enter your life, and I will empower you, and I will live through you, and I will let my will become your will. I will let my power become your power. I will let... The, the virtues of my character replace those that you try to make by yourself. We can sum up all of this in uh, a verse that's in Psalm 86, verse 11, that says, Lord, you are God. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. Bring it together. It's the word yachad again. That same word we saw last night in the, in the introduction to the greatest commandment. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is Yahad. The Lord is a united one. And then David says, now Lord, make my heart a reflection of your character. Unite my heart. Make my heart one under the fear of your name. And you know that the word fear doesn't mean fear, right? It means reverential love. It means Fulfilling the great commandment, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So we need to be clear about our mirror. So let's read, let's read the, uh, the, the passage under uh, section, session 2, which is from Romans chapter 12, reading on from Verses, uh, th to verses three, and 3 to 6, the first part. For by the grace given to me, I ask every one of you not to think of yourself more highly than you should think, but rather to think of yourself with sober judgment on the measure of faith that God has assigned each of you. For we have many parts in one body, but these parts do not all have the same function. In the same way, even though we are many people, we are one body in the Messiah and individual parts connected to each other. We have different gifts based on the grace that was given to us. So, as I described in my own story, I, I need to let some of you know something that you may not have realized yet, which is that... Um, 
I think it was Samuel Rutherford or one of, the, one of those old authors who, who wrote this. He said, when Christ comes to live in a man's heart, his face is often seen at the windows. But what he didn't say is what I want to say to you now. When Christ comes to live in a human's heart, he brings all his friends with him. And Jesus was always like that. You know, he, he shocked almost every person that he met who was like a respectable person because he had this gang. Some fishermen, a couple of terrorists, a uh, tax collector or two, um, people with bad accents, that you, you know, that the educated people of Jerusalem couldn't quite understand. They didn't talk nice. And uh, smelly, uh, just not very cultured. They spoke about the Galileans like that. They spoke of people from Galilee as from the wrong side of the tracks. Not not polite company. (laughs) And Jesus didn't care. He was invited to Matthew's house. And Matthew was... Tax collector, Levi, tax collector, friendly with a whole bunch of people, probably including some Romans. And, uh, and so he invites Jesus to his house, and Jesus knocks on the door. Ma- Le- Ma- Levi slash Matthew opens the door, and Jesus said, Hi, we're here. And they came in. It was no negotiation. He did the same with Simon the the, 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 the Pharisee did the same with him. Brought all his friends. And all the people were speaking at, around the back of their hands and saying, look how he eats with all these sinners. So what I discovered about Jesus is this, that um, I spoke last night about three callings. They are mutually inclusive. The call to Christ, the call to follow Him, is also a call to be a part of the one body called the church. And I believe that that happens on two levels. I uh, I know that there's there's no negotiation. You know, like on a Sunday morning when you're lying in bed and wondering, should I go to church? At that moment, you are the church. So you may as well church. Like, show up. Be there. That's, that's, your, that's your synergy. The synergy of your own soul, heart, mind, soul, and strength. The synergy of that is dependent on the synergy that you find with others. Okay? Paul says it like this. I wanted to be among you. I longed, I desired to be among you so that you could contribute something to my faith so that we may mutually encourage one another's faith. Essentially what he's saying is, I can't make it without you. And let me say that again. Let me say that in the most emphatic way I can. You are unable to see the full mystery of the love of God, its length and breadth and depth and height, without the body of Christ. God, that was another moment, signal moment. You know those moments when you know, I know exactly where I was when I heard this. 
I know exactly where I was when I heard this word from Ephesians that said, we are able together with all the saints to comprehend the length and breadth and depth and height. And by the way, you can flip that over and you can say, and we are unable without all the saints to fully comprehend the love, the height, the, the length and breadth and depth and height of the love of God. You're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to work it all out for myself. But I see it reflected in you. I see it reflected in your face. I see it reflected in your life. I see it reflected in your testimony, the change that happens to you. And at times when my own faith is weak and I hear someone share their story or I hear a message from God's word or I worship together with people, something comes alive in me that was dormant. So I believe that it happens at that level automatically. And that part of the fulfillment, the living out of your story, is to track with that reality of living with Jesus' buddies. The, the second way in which this is particular, uh, fulfilled in our lives, is that God joins us to the body of His choosing for us. He, he, so in other words, you are a part of the universal thing called the body of Christ. But you're also joined to a congregation of that body, which becomes the way in which God is going to shape you, teach you, train you, and put you to work. There is, and, and this is where Paul goes on. He says, it's not only a matter of the privilege of being part of the one body, it's also part of the responsibility of exercising the particular unique gifting that you have so that that body can come to maturity. I've, I've uh, shared this message a number of times in the, in the recent past that's become a bit of a thing. But uh, it, it's a little message I have about, the, the, if I may say it reverently, the sneakiness of Jesus. I told him, I think you were a bit sneaky there. It's the, it's the, it's the verse in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Where Jesus goes, I love this. It's just wonderful. He goes, come to me, all you who are weary, weighed down with responsibilities and stress and religion. Come to me and I will give you rest. And there's not even a pause between, before he goes on, take my yoke upon you. <laughs> I said, what? What? Hold. Just, just, just to hold the phone. Hold. Hold. You said rest, and the next sentence you say yoke. What is restful about having a yoke on your neck? He said, oh, yeah, that, I slipped that in there. <laughs> I slipped that in there to let people know that the true rest that you will discover is the rest of walking and living and working in partnership with me. It's my yoke. I'm in it with you. That's the deal. And there is work involved, but I'll do most of it. All you, all you do is you just keep in step. Yeah. Just keep in step. Just, if, you, if you live by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. <laughs> just watch. Watch and learn. 
He says that, doesn't he, in that text. Learn of me, because I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Anyway, that's another sermon, so let me get back to this one. Uh, so, here's what Paul says in the text. Do not think of yourself more highly than you should think. And I've added something because Paul did not have necessarily have the same experience with the Romans that I've had with people over the last 46 years. And that is, do not think of yourself more lowly either than you ought. Don't say, I'm nobody but say, I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. And when Christ came to live in here, in, in this life, he made it significant. He made something, as Villard said earlier, he made something uh, of my life. And, uh, and I've come into my own. I've stepped into God's story for me. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment on the basis of the measure of faith that God has given you. Now, again, we're not going to go into a lot of detail about the measure of faith, but you will notice that there are several um, parallel phrases. The measure of faith, the grace given to us, and the way that God thinks of you. All of those are the same. Or the statements that God makes of you and the gift mix or the gifting that he places upon you. All of those are parallel phrases. So the measure of faith is not saving faith but it is the faith to operate according to God's story. And then he goes on and says, um, understand that we are one body in the Messiah. We are one body. Tell the person next to you, you're part of me whether you like it or not. I love you whether you like it or not. We're going to the same heaven, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Oops. You mean they're going to be there? Yes, they are. We are connected to each other. See, a body is... The important thing about a body is that everything needs to be connected. The toe bone connected to the ankle bone, and the ankle bone connected to the shin bone, and the shin bone connected to the knee bone. And so on and so forth. We are connected to each other. But no, that, that connection is not just organized. It is also dynamic. The connection is not just a matter of arrangement. It is a matter of function. And so connection has to do with the ability to respond to the nerve signals that come. Connection is, has to do with work. It makes you useful when you're connected right. So you can't just be a kind of spiritual butterfly, you know, going around everywhere and say, hey, I'm part of the universal body of Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus goes, so what, uh, what stuff has that? Has, you're a little finger. What, what work have you done and who have you done it with? You see, the when you disconnect the little finger and you put it over there, it's no longer useful. So there's a whole lot of people who are very spiritual, but so heavenly minded they're of no earthly use. God is very practical about this thing. 
He says, no, no, the way that you do this is you find some people amongst whom you can learn and be trained and function, and you do practice in church so that when you're out there, and that's going to be where we hopefully end up either today or tomorrow morning, uh, out there that where you go, you leave God's DNA. Where you touch people, it's his fingerprints that are left on their lives, not yours. That's his plan. That's quite a cool plan. That's quite, a, that's quite an elevation of how you thought of yourself before. And God says, you know what? It's going to get so close between you and me. These two donkeys, these two oxen, yoked together, that actually they'll, they'll only see one set of footprints. And that's not because I carried you. But it's because you, you kept in step. We have different gifts, says Paul, based on the grace that was given to us. So, very quickly, there are four things that we have to do about ourselves. And, um, and uh, there was a misprint. Uh, let me move on quickly. Uh, oh, okay. Four things. Accept yourself. Love yourself. Be yourself. And forget yourself. The first the, uh, three of those were, uh, uh, are attributed to John Powell, who wrote that in a book uh, about being fully human, fully alive. He said... He said, um, we have to do three things about ourselves. And his three were, accept yourself, love yourself, and forget yourself. In that order. And by the way, again, this is a big subject which I'm not going to go into now. But if you read Philippians chapter 3, where Paul talks about his pedigree. He says, these are the things that I was according to the flesh. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin, and as to the law, blameless. Wow, what a thing to say. And he goes on and he unwraps all of this amazing pedigree. And then he says, but all of this I counted as refuse. I counted as garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having a righteousness that comes from him, not according to the law, but according to Christ. And then he goes on and he says, for the rest of my life, what I want to do is I want to replace my self-awareness with a Christ awareness. I want to forget what lies behind, strain forward to what lies ahead. I want to know Him, the power of His resurrection in my life, sharing in His sufferings that I might attain to the resurrection life. He's not talking about going to heaven when He dies. He's talking about living by the power of the resurrection in the here and now. It's living a different quality of life. And you see, what he is saying there is you can't have it both ways. You can't live your agenda and have God's life. The only, the only person who, is, who was raised from the dead is Jesus. And that's still, the, that's still true. The only person God is going to raise in you is Christ. So, let's understand then that we are responsible to live a healthy identity 
the same way that Jesus did. It was healthy identity that, that enabled his self-forgetfulness. Gee, there's just not enough time. I'm not going to spend, spend too much time on this. It is expressed in loving the unlovable. That's how we forget ourselves, is we invest in people that are not like us, that are, that are not lovable, that, that don't deserve, you know. I mean, if it's, we shouldn't even really say things like that. But in the, in the natural order of things, people who don't deserve our attention. Anyway, we, we, we won't spend too much time. Loving the unlovable. It, it, forgetting yourself acts on, for the well-being of others and expects nothing in return. I had another phrase, I think it comes up in another another slide that says grace and entitlement are mutually exclusive terms when we live by grace there there is no entitlement you can expect nothing you don't deserve anything i don't deserve anything we need to get to fully 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 understand that that it's all by grace so it's a life that is lived in praise of grace. So Paul goes on from there, uh, and I, I have this little point too that just says this, grace has these effects on our lives. Once you're in grace, you will believe. Grace will enable your faith. It enables believing. Second of all, grace joins you to others because we suddenly have a totally different family. It is the people of grace. The people who have been saved by the same grace have the same DNA, the same blood flowing through their veins. And then lastly, grace will motivate you to serve others. So this is how John tells us to take our pulse. Do you remember this? I think I may have done this last time. You put these three fingers or even just two of them just against that little bone over there. Do that? You want to do that? You feel something? If you don't, I've got bad news for you. Okay, that's a pulse. It tells me or tells you your heart is beating. <laughs> that's good news, right? You're alive. Oxygen is being pumped to your brain. And uh, so John... Uh, 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 as one of uh, several, writes in his first epistle, he says, here's how to take your pulse. Here's how to find out if you're alive. Do you love the brothers? If you don't love the brothers, I've got bad news for you. You don't have a heartbeat. He says, if you don't love the brothers, you're not, you do not know Christ. You're not in Him. Because here is how we know that we are are in Him is that we have, we fulfill this commandment, love one another. Now, we can, we can uh, talk about many others, but, uh, and I'll do this tomorrow morning, but one of the ways that I understand the New Testament to be radically different is that most of what people translate as imperatives are actually indicatives. Okay, now for those of us who have forgotten our English lessons, 
An, in, an imperative is usually framed in the language like you must, you ought, you should. You have to. Indicatives are framed in language like you will, you, you get to. Uh, th- th- this, is, this is going to come naturally to you. This is how you are going to be. This is how you are and how you are going to be. So uh, the, the writers of the, or the, the uh, translators of the Bible, the New Testament, could hardly kind of believe it. That's why they sometimes introduced in error, they introduced some qualifiers. They said, it can't be, the, the news can't be that good. You know, I mean, this is the, the England of King James. And so we've, we've had some trouble with, with Christians and stuff. So let's, let's make sure that we keep, we keep the boundaries clear, you know. You have to, you must, you ought, you should. And many times they, they take verbs that, are, that are, uh, co- convey the indicative and they make them into imperatives. So when I read, for example, the 27, there are 27 of them, and make a study of this for yourself. Um, there are 27 times that the New Testament uses the phrase one another. It says love one another. Honor one another, care for one another, encourage one another, etc., etc. And it speaks of all of these one another's. And every one of those is an indicative. Every one of them goes like this You know what's going to happen when the grace of God gets a hold of you? You are going to love one another. You know what's going to happen when the grace of God gets a hold of you? You're going to just want to encourage one another. You're going to want to support one another. You're going to honor one another. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to. You're going to get to. So please understand this about your gifting. It is not a responsibility. It is a privilege. Understand this about the fact that God will use you. That it is not a case of you better or else. What it is really a case of is this is going to come naturally to you and your true fulfillment and happiness is going to be in the living out of what God is working in you. That's, that's how Paul puts it in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work within you giving you both the desire and the strength to fulfill His will. He's giving you the desire. He's putting the want to in you. Nothing in this new covenant operates on have to, it operates on want to. So what do you want to do? What do you want to... What kind of fingerprints of God do you want to leave? What kind of legacy do you want to be remembered for in the lives of others. So let's talk about motivational gifts for a moment. Here is a lady who is coming into the room. Did you see that? Okay, here she comes again. Here's a lady coming into the room carrying a tray of jello and ice cream. And as she came into the room, there was a piece of the carpet that was sticking up and she tripped over it and she fell and uh, smashed some of the cups that the jello and ice cream was in and fell down and, and got a, made a 
cut her arm and was bleeding and bumped her head. And the, and the guests were all sitting around in the, in the room, in the lounge. And, of course, immediately that happened, people responded. And one person said, jumped up quickly and went to the lady and said, Oh, my dear, come here. Let me, let me put a bandage on. Let's go and clean that up. And, and, and we're going to put a bandage on. And we're going to give you an aspirin. And we're going to fix this. And so off they went. And someone else started picking up the glass and the, and the spilled. And she cleaned. Because it's usually a she that does that kind of stuff. She, she, she cleaned. Not that it's supposed to be that way. I'm just indicating this is an indicative, not an imperative. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, most guys think that their hands will melt if they wash dishes and things. Anyway. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then someone else said, you know, I saw that piece of carpet like that. And I was wondering when someone was going to trip over it. I could have told them that was going to happen. And, uh, and then someone else said, I'm going to go and find a hammer and some, some, some uh, track, and I'm going to nail down that piece of carpet so that it doesn't happen again. And then someone else said, but what about our dessert? <laughs> and another person said, well, I'll tell you what, here's some money. Go to the store and get us another thing, tub of ice cream and some jello and, and, uh, and let's uh, do this again. And when she comes back, we'll be able to serve her dessert. And so it went. Every person was responding in a different way. One was, and so Paul talks about these gifts. And he says, each of you has what is called a motivational gift. Now, this is a, these are different in expression than what is called the charismata, the ones in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is where he talks about tongues and interpretation and prophecy and miracles and healing and words of knowledge and words of wisdom, and which are occasional and they are outward expressions of the Holy Spirit within you according to the need of the moment and according to your availability. And they may happen once and never again. They may happen occasionally and through different people. What he's talking about in Romans 12 is a slightly, is a actually quite remarkably different level. And this is where these are not charismata, but prasa or praso, which, are, which is a, a Greek word for the practices or the ministry that is entrusted to you, that you become proficient in by practice. Okay, and so this is where the thing becomes something more settled in your life. Where wherever you are, you are wired in a particular way. You see things through a particular lens. You have a particular motivation of wanting to do one of these seven things. The, the, the prophets. It's interesting, by the way, that prophecy is the only gift that is listed in all three lists of spiritual gifts. Charismata, Praso, and what are called Domata, which is Ephesians 4. Anyway, that's a piece of useless information. Another seminar. <laughs> Prophecy. Serving, which is um, uh, uh, the, the background people who do the, who do the hard work in secret and who serve others and serve their ability to do better, to, do the, to fulfill their gifting. 
Of course, teaching, that's the guy who observed about the carpet and, and so on. Encouraging is the, is the person who um, exhorts or motivates others to their, to their work. Contributing, giving, the, the gift of giving. Leadership is the person who organizes everybody else. <laughs> um, and, and, and goes in a direction and says, this is what we're going to do, and here's some. And leaders are also people who empower and release others to do their gifting. And then mercy, of course, that was the first one. That was the person who went to the one in trouble and bandaged her wounds and, and, and uh, healed or re- helped her recover from her pain. And so think about those. When it comes to you in the gathered church, when it comes to you not only on a Sunday, but through the week as you think about your role in this body, which of those are the, is the one that you want to? This is what I want to do. This is what motivates me. This is what flicks my switches. This is what... Um, when I think of myself at my best, filled with the Holy Spirit and, and operating optimally, that's what I see myself doing. And the important thing that you need to know about these gifts, these praso, is that none of them is more important than another. They're not on a hierarchy, they're on a spectrum. And that's why Paul says we have different gifts and every one of you has some. And your contribution is vital. So when it comes to the spiritual gifts in this particular capacity, uh, Paul talks in Romans 12 uh, uh, and, and, um, um, about we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter, what is that? 4. Four, yeah, four verse 10. He says, each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in, the, in its various forms and do it with the strength God provides. So Paul says it's a gift. Peter says it's actually a stewardship. So one has to do with receiving or and, 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 and responding to a motivation. The other one has to do with stewarding or administering the gift that you're motivated to, to give. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen without your cooperation. But once again, Christ in you is going to be motivating you uniquely. Respond to that because therein lies your joy. There's a lovely passage, of course, most of us are familiar with the first part of it anyway. John chapter 15, where Jesus says, you, I am the vine, you are the branches. And the purpose of the branches is to bear fruit. I, I want you to bear fruit. I want you, and sometimes I'm going to prune you back so that you bear more fruit. And then I'm going to put you in place and tie you up and, and support you so that you bear abundant fruit, fruit that remains more than enough. And then he sums it all up with this beautiful phrase. He says, I've said these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. So you want to be a happy Christian? Bear fruit. Bear the fruit that God has marked out for you. 
The most miserable person on earth is a Christian who's not operating in keeping, in, in sync with Jesus and his plan for your life. Fulfillment and joy in church has to do with doing his will, fulfilling his plan, his purpose for you. So, and understand this, that the kingdom of God is manifest where those two things overlap. You have a gift, and so a whole lot of people are sitting there going, I'm gifted. I, I have a gift of teaching, but they never teach anyone. I have the gift of prophecy, but they never prophesy. They, they wear them as badges, but they don't see them as a job description. So, so Peter says, now that you've got the thing, use it, please. Because the more you use it, the more you get. That's the way of gifting. Gifting is something that when you give it out, you see, a gift is there to be given. It's not to be owned. <laughs> That's another seminar as well. But, but a gift is something that as you make space for it, God puts more of his grace into you. If you hold on to it, he goes, oh, he doesn't need any more because he's holding on to what, he, what I gave him last Christmas. So I'm just going to move on and find someone that's needy and give them a, another dose, another download of this gift. And so it is in the obedience, it is in the responding, it is in the stewarding of the gift that the kingdom of God is manifest so that in all things God might be praised through Jesus Christ is the way that Peter says it. And so... The rest of this passage talks about serving the gathered church. It, it has to do with perspective. What, what happens, what is going on in your mind? What are you thinking when you walk in the door on a Sunday? What are you there for? I, I, I want to again just say a thing that I think will change your experience of church forever. And that is, every time you arrive, you have a job to do. You have a grace to share. You have a gift to give away. You have beneficial purpose in the life of every other person there. Or maybe it's just one person. Maybe it's a couple. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's a child. But you are there with an assignment every Sunday. Of course, your first assignment is to give to God the sacrifice of your praise because that's why he hunted you down. He ran you down to be a worshiper who worships in spirit and in truth. And if that's all that you do on a Sunday, that's cool. That's good. But when it comes to the interaction with others, you've got more. You have an encouraging word. You have a word of knowledge. You have a prophecy. You have a, you have a, a prayer to pray. You have, an, a, you have a, a, a hug to give. You have a conversation with a lonely person. And all of those are ministering God's grace in its various forms. And the more we see of the grace of God, the more the church will be a reflection of Him and not us. So those of you who thought that church membership was for you, 
<laughs> I think it was someone who said, I don't get anything out of the worship. And the, and the answer to that, of course, was, it wasn't for you anyway. It was never intended for you. So, one with the Messiah in whom the whole body is united and held together for it, with every ligament with which it is supplied, as each individual does his job, its job, the body builds itself up in love. That's Ephesians 4 verse 16, and it is for me the goal of every church. Essentially this, synergy, synergizing has to do with every part finding its function and doing its function. And when each part is doing its work, the whole body builds itself up in love, grows and builds itself up in love. Tomorrow I'm going to say a little more about this, but I believe that the essential key ingredient of revival, do you want to see Brenham revived? Would you like to see revival in this city? Would you? In this whole county? Would you like to see revival? Here it is. Revival depends on the maximum mobilization of every believer. You thought I was going to say something really profound like prayer. You know what? Revival depends on, very, on a very simple dynamic. Every person showing up. And then when we leave the room, when we go out into the highways and byways and streets and workplaces, the marketplace, etc., uh, in which we are involved Monday to Sunday, Monday to Saturday, letting it out, letting it leak. So your gift comes in accordance with the grace God, that God gives you. Without your gift, maturity for the body is impossible. And so use your gift to build, serve, teach, comfort, help, lead, and show God's mercy. Now, here's a little exercise that we're not going to do now. I want to just um, put this out there, and you can, you can fill it in when you get the chance. But essentially, it works like this. How do you know what your gifting is? In very broad strokes... It works like this. This is a little um, instrument, a measurement instrument from an outfit called Wilson Learning. And it goes like this. When you're in an environment with, together with the body, whether it's in a small group or whether it's in a congregation or whether it's in a particular team or whatever, and, um, and you, uh, are, you're wanting to get people to do stuff, what do you do? Do you ask or do you tell? Are you very directive or are you very alongside-ish? Okay? That's the first question. So mark yourself. Zero is in the middle and tens, the tens are on the outside. So if you're a high tell, then you put an eight, nine, ten. If you're a, if you're a more kind of... A, uh, ask-ish kind of a person then to do a two, four, six, whatever. So put a little cross on the, on the line. The second axis has to do with how do you manage or, ex or deal with emotion? When you're feeling something, 
the Lord has shown you something, or you, you're feeling uh, a sense of passion about something, a, t- a sense of joy about something, do you tend to emote? That's at the bottom. Or do you tend to withhold? Do you keep your cards close to your chest, or do you let it all hang out? Which is you. And so put a little mark on the, on the axis, uh, again, upward or downward. So just as a little example here, here's a person who put, a, put their first uh, X on six, on the tail side. And then they put their second X on the, um, on the eight, on the emote side. So now you join the two X's, and this person finds themselves in this box. And this box is the box of the, what is called the expressives, the visionaries, the, the uh, entertainer. You know, every group needs entertainment, information, uh, advancement, and uh, in, uh, um, organization. So this is where the prophets live. They, they're not so much interested in achievement, they're interested in a happening. So for them, the question is not, um, what did we accomplish? The question is, did we have a happening? They're the party animals of the kingdom. Right? As long as there's a party, as long as God showed up with bells on, that's, that's enough. And we go, so what did you learn? They say, gee, I don't know. <laughs> Didn't really learn anything, but I had a wonderful time. The most painful thing is, is, is when a person with that gifting tries to teach people. <laughs> All they do is they get confused on a higher level. Okay, then we get the person in the top right. This is the autocratic kind of leader. This is the teller, the driver. This is the, this is the, uh, the Moses with a big stick. The, he's the, he or she is the catalyst. Apostles live in this particular dimension. And so if you have a gift of leadership, it's probable that one of the things uh, strengths will be in there. By the way, I use the word autocrat in a very morally neutral way here. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not talking about being a dictator and being nasty. I'm talking about being a person who knows what needs to happen and goes, leads. So the gift of leadership is something that will be found in this person's in this person's gift mix. The evangelists are also here because apostles and evangelists have one question that they like to ask. By when? Have you made a decision? Have you made a commitment to Christ? Are you there? Show up and, 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 and forget about your feelings. And you know what? I'm really not interested in how your mom's doing. I just want to see results. They want to see results. Then on the, uh, on the top left, we have what is called the empowering leader, who is the analyst, the person who works out about the carpet. They are the organizers. They are the teachers. And so for them, the main question is how? How does this work? How do we get this done? They are also very often the accountants. So... While they may, be, um, they may deal with money, 
They only deal with the money they have, and they don't deal with the money that they haven't got. That's the job of the visionary. The visionary is going, come on, we're going to do this. And the accountants are going, show me the money. And they're going, no, 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 we're going to go by faith. And the guy said, no, when I've got the money, I'll have faith. So they are very practical people. And again, there's no, there's no better than other in this mix, okay? So then we get the last one, the Democrat. This is the amiable person. This is the maintainer. This is the pastor, the one who walks alongside, the encourager, the carer, the person who weeps with those who weep. So for them, the main question in any setting is who? How's everybody doing? How are people feeling in this moment? They're very important. They're very important in transitions. Because, once again, you can have transition that operates on the basis of practicality and vision and achievement and accomplishment, but it involves people. And so there needs to be that, those people who, who are constantly asking others, how are you coping? Is this okay? Are you, are you processing stuff? Do you need to talk to someone? So each of those, you can see, is a representation of something of the, the leadership gifting in Jesus. And, uh, and so you, you'll find yourself there, and you'll find ways of giving expression to that. So it's an important thing. One of the things I see is the most important job in the church is to help everybody find their niche, find your place. Be a square peg in a square hole. Don't, don't try to be someone that you're not. Don't force yourself to be like someone else. So this has to do with being yourself in the sense of your service in the body of Christ. And we're not going to do this one now. This is, a, this is another one which we may get to uh, once again at, a, at another point. But... Paul, um, Paul sums up all of this after he has spoken about gifting. We go to point five where he says, be devoted to each other with mutual affection. In other words, no matter what you do, let it all be done in a qualitative environment of love for one another. Be devoted to, one, to each other with mutual affection excel at showing respect for each other. I love that phrase. Essentially, he's saying, win the honor competition. See if you can outdo someone else in showing honor. Instead of looking for the negatives, look for the best. Instead of talking negatively about an, a person, affirm their strengths, affirm their, 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 their virtues, their qualities. Then he says, don't stand back. Never be lazy in showing such devotion. But be enthusiastic. Be on fire with the Spirit, is the way this translation says it. Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Now, I finish where I started. If you want to, if you want to maintain the energy levels for serving, serve before an audience of one. 
Give your gift. I love the, I love the little um, conversation that was had with Mother Teresa by Time Magazine, the Time Magazine journalist, who asked her when she was close to 80 years of age. He said, Mother Teresa, what I notice about you is that you still go onto the streets of Calcutta and you still personally go and find the people who are lying in the gutters and you take them in your arms and you personally wash them and you dress their wounds and you carry them uh, with your, the help of your sisters, but you carry them back to the place where they can be uh, healed and brought back to strength and fed. And, she, and, and, they, and this person said, but at your age, how do you keep the energy up to do that? And she said, it's very simple. She said, Jesus said, inasmuch as you have done this to the least of these, to one of the least of these, you have done it unto me. So she said, I see each of them as if they were Jesus. And she said, it's not hard at all to wash the wounds of Jesus. It's not hard to take Jesus when he is dirty and he is weak and he is broken and for me to comfort him. That's not hard. She says, I have energy to do that much more than I do it. Much more. So if you ever want to, if you, if you, if you focus on the people, an old pastor of mine used to say that, don't serve the people for the Lord's sake, serve the Lord for the people's sake. Serve God in one another. Be energized by the fact that in as much as you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. Most of the things that we are going to be rewarded for in heaven are things that were unseen on earth. Jesus said it like that. He talked about prayer. He talked about giving, giving um, charitable, giving donations, gifts, giving th- things away. When we do them in secret, your heavenly Father is going to reward you openly. And so he says, be joyful in hope, be patient in trouble, and be persistent in prayer. Supply the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. I like that little expression from the Lorax that said, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. You have much more in you than you need for yourself. God has been extravagant in the investment He's made in our lives. But again, that's something that we, we need to understand clearly about the nature of God. We think in terms of the gift. God gave me a gift. And He goes, actually God is Jewish. I don't know if you know that. God is Jewish. And you know things about Jewish business people? They want a return on their investments. <laughs> Jesus told that story, didn't he? About the man who gave this one ten talents, this one five talents, this one one talent. And when he came back, he said, so where is my interest? Give me back mine on with interest. He's looking for interest on his investments. And you know what? You, in his book, 
are a safe place to invest. You have the capacity to take that gift and make it more, to increase it, to multiply it, to cause it to grow, and to give it back to Him with interest. And so think of that the next time you encounter that you are in, engaged with another person. The words that you say in that, person, in that moment to that person might be the thing that will change their lives forever. I was just a little while ago, I, uh, I'm a, although I spend a lot of time and I do a lot of stuff via things like Facebook, I didn't know that there was this thing where people um, asked you for permission to send you a message. And so I, I, I saw this thing in this messenger thing, and there, there were like, I don't know, 40 requests to send a message. I thought, wow, gee, really, I didn't know about this stuff. So I clicked on there, and I found this most amazing message that had been sent to me a couple of years ago. And it was a message from a young girl who was in our church in the late 80s, early 90s. And she was one of those people that I spoke about who I had spent some time counseling with, prayed with her for God to bring healing to her soul. And, um, and so she said, I just wanted you to know that when you spoke to a young girl, I was on the, on the point of suicide. I'd been in, in chronic depression for years and there was nothing to live for. I had nothing to live for. And she said, those few hours that you spent counseling and praying with me um, have resulted in this, that now I am a fully qualified psychologist myself. I am married. I have three children. I live with a wonderful, I have a wonderful husband, and I have a life that is full. And she said, that life would not have even existed if it wasn't for that encounter. Now, I don't say that to boast anything about myself. I say that to say to you, do not underestimate the encounter that you have with an ordinary person over a cup of coffee. Don't underestimate it. Because therein lies the power of synergy. Therein, as you speak, you speak in the presence of God. You speak in the flow of His Spirit between two human beings. And what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says that we are reflecting to one another the glory of the Lord. We're reflecting it. And as we do that, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another by the Lord who is the Spirit. That happens just between two ordinary people. So do not undervalue the gift that you are and the gift that you bring to another person. It's not always done in organized form. Most of it happens in the ordinary interaction between believers. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how the ripples go beyond the life of the church so that a, tr uh, so that a community can be transformed. Okay? And our time is gone, so please let's stand.
just felt the Lord say, he, he has the discomforts in your life. He has the discomfort in hand as much as He has the joys. Things that you feel uncomfortable about, God is not absent from them. He's got it in hand. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you again. We know that you've been here all morning. In fact, you were here before we got here. But we want to welcome you to the spaces in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls, where we need you. So come. I want to welcome you into places of confusion, into places of uh, where, where, we, where we don't know, where we, we're not sure about your will. And right there again, I just had a sense of the Lord saying, I am speaking even when you do not hear me. I'm still speaking. I'm the God who speaks. I'm the God who speaks. And so in the name of Jesus, I want to just silence. I want to turn down the volume of the many other noises so that you may hear that still small voice of a God who says, we're going to walk this thing out together. We're going to walk this thing out together. So let your presence come. Let your word break in to those places where it is needed. I want to pray that you would lift up branches that are sagging. Because that's what you say. You say, I will lift up those branches. I will tie them back in place so that they may bear fruit. Let the sap of your life, your spirit, flow again through places where we have sometimes felt dry and lifeless. Let it come. Let it come. And I just invite you right now to celebrate God's will. It's a lovely verse in Job chapter 22 verse 21 that says, Agree now with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Agree now with God. Sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes we don't like and so what he says is just agree that I am God and I do, really do have the thing in hand and I know, I know the plans that I have for you and they are plans for good and not for evil, for building up, not for breaking down, plans to give you a future and a hope. Agree now with God. And be at peace. So Father I pray that you would encourage. That you would speak. That where people have 
perhaps seen themselves in a different way and that some of that way is not is is dis, is discomforting i know that that sometimes is your, the first step in your agenda for our lives is to make us to give us a discontent a godly discontent with the status quo i pray that you would fill us with that fill us with that sense of i know things are going things need to change and i i agree with you lord that my life those areas that have been stagnant, that they need a fresh injection of the power of your life, the resurrection of Jesus into those places. Give us love where love has waned. Give us faith where we have been, yeah, like that man who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, give us hope where we have fallen into dismay and despair renew our hope renew our hope renew our hope renew our hope I do feel that I that the, the Lord heard something that you said earlier Villard, and he wants to say over you and Diane and this is not a cliche. This is not because it's like, it seems like a good thing to say, but it, it really is something God is putting on my heart to say to you. The best is yet to come. He has kept the best till last. And it's like the Lord is saying, you have been faithful in this place, you've been faithful with this church. And the Lord says, but you have children that you've never heard of into whose lives you will speak power, you will speak the shalom of the Lord, you will bring an understanding and an awareness of their space, their place in God's kingdom. You will pastor people that you did not know. You will be like Jerusalem who woke up one day and said, how? How did I acquire all these children? I'm a barren woman. I'm a woman that was just here in a little secret place. And the Lord said over her, I will give you children. I will bring your children from afar, from the four corners from the four ends of the earth I will gather them and you will look at them and say wow they even look like me <laughs> they even have the same hairstyle <laughs> but I say over you in the name of the Lord that it actually involves not just the greatest scope but a greater level of authority and that the words you speak will be words that are, that are filled with the authority of the Lord who puts them in your mouth to say. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.